Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again, and welcome to a new episode of the Aranax Show about the transformation of all things maritime shipping and marine. I'm Craig Eason, your show host, and also managing editor of the Fathom World website. We are actually of the opinion that we should leapfrog directly to these uh, really carbon neutral fuels. So, so we are not looking for, for any fossil fuel in, in the meanwhile. We want to go directly to the carbon neutral fuels. Why wind? I think that we saw that there was a potential to harness wind to good effect in our segment. And it's not going to be a solution which is valid for every segment of shipping. But you know, since when, Greg, has any solution been a, a one-size-fits-all in, uh, in our business? Last week, there were two noticeable announcements from shipping companies about the types of ships that they're going to, or to be accurate, could be ordering in the future. And these were noticeable as these two vessels were a methanol-powered container ship and a wind-powered deep-sea car carrier. As we see the drive to decarbonise society and the shipping industry, there is pressure on many sides for more action and less talking. But given the task, the action has been slow to materialise. As we have heard in previous episodes of the Aranax show, the race is speeding up to find new fuels and new ways to create a cleaner, more sustainable shipping industry, one that is up to the challenge that society is setting itself. These two announcements from Maersk Line in Copenhagen, Denmark and Vilnius Wilhelmsen in Oslo, Norway could, if their promises remain true, be seen in the future as some of the first significant steps on this journey. Maersk Line said it'll be building a feeder container vessel that'll run off of green methanol. Well, actually, it'll be dual fuel, so it will still have the option to use existing fossil bunker fuels as well. This is not one of the giant box ships that sail between Asia and Europe or the US. These huge vessels have a nominal capacity of well over 20,000 20-foot containers. This methanol vessel, with 2,000 TEU, is a lot smaller, and will run on a regular shuttle feeder route according to Morten Bo Christiansen, who is head of decarbonisation at AP Buller Maersk. The company gave me a short window of opportunity to talk to him about the news, but in that time, he told me about the challenges that they'll face. Yeah, so we are basically saying three three things today. The first one is that we will get uh, the first uh, uh, carbon neutral uh, container liner vessel uh, uh, in the waters by 2023, which is seven years ahead of our initial ambition. So, so uh, we at this year in, in AP Mars, we consider that quite a quite a milestone. And we are excited about it because it means that we can uh, we can offer uh, something to our customers which actually represents a proper scalable carbon neutral solution at sea. Um, and also at the same time, send a signal to fuel manufacturers that uh, that that we are we are ready to take uh, carbon neutral fuels uh, into our fleet. So that that's the first element of it. <clears throat> the other element is that we are saying that from now on, all the new buildings that we make for our own fleet, the fleet that we own will also be ready to run on carbon neutral fuel. So they will, in practical terms, be dual fuel vessels that can either run on a carbon neutral fuel, for now, uh, methanol, and in the future, it will also be ammonia. 
but these uh, these vessels will also be able to run on the normal fuel oil that, that we have today as kind of a of, of a of a financial hedge, if you will. Uh, so that's the second piece of news, which which again for us is an important milestone because we, we consider that quite a quite a commitment. Um, and then the third message we want out is really that collaboration with uh, you know the entire sector is just critical to make this transition of, of the industry. And um, and you know we are sticking our neck out a bit now here first, uh, but but we, we we clearly need everyone to uh, to uh, to rally around this objective of of the carbon neutral transition of our industry. The group aims to get the vessel in the water and in service by 2023. But let's face it, a good press announcement really holds true with delivery dates. But Mortensen says this order for the ship and the announcement that all future new builds will be dual fueled for future fuels should help fuel makers see the potential market for their fuels. I think that is critically important. Uh, I mean, it is uh, right now a little bit of a chicken and egg type situation where there are many good projects on the drawing table. Uh, or the drawing board, or the, but, but, and many of these are actually looking for bankable uptakers, so somebody who, who will tell them we are willing to take these through, we are willing to start so that they can start production. And that's what we are saying now, and, uh, and, uh, and that will actually then start uh, to, to accelerate the actual production of properly carbon neutral fuels, which today is, is very, very limited. Morten Bo Christensen on Maersk's decision to order a small container ship that it intends to run on methanol. The company has told the press that customers using this vessel will see higher rates for cargo, reflecting the current higher costs of ordering such a vessel and the cost of greener fuels, which remain higher than current fossil-based fuels. Now also last week, Bellinius Wilhelmsen said it'll be pushing on with a project to build a wind-powered giant car carrier. The challenges are significant, but the company is moving the Ocean Bird project that Swedish partner Villenius Line began last year. But it was back in 2005, Norwegian shipowner and manager Wilhelmsen designed a ship it was never intending to build. It was called Orcel. Like the company's other vessels at the time, it was a car carrier, but unlike anything else, it was a design for a future vessel that had sails, alternative power, wave power, solar panels, and other technological aids that were, at the time, looking unlikely to become reality. The announcement last week was for a vessel that the group is calling Orcel Wind, and which it hopes to order next year, providing the project meets key feasibility criteria around technical, operational, regulatory, financial and commercial sense. I caught up with Roger Strevens, Vice President of Global Sustainability at Villenius Wilhelmsen, to talk about the decision to develop such a radically different vessel. I started by asking him how this vessel would be put into service given that it would have an operating speed a lot slower than the other vessels the company has in service. What we what we see typically, Craig, is that vehicles that we deliver then sit in port for for you know weeks at a time before they move on to their next point at rest. And I think the opportunity that gives from an overall taking an overall supply chain perspective would be to you know allow a little bit more time on the ocean transit and then a little just a small bit shorter time sitting in port the ability to adjust the the voyage time um of the vessels though those that would be something that would be applicable 
um, for your existing tonnage. Having a more effective and efficient supply chain model, um, the logistics model, is is not new. So are you looking to develop this with your existing vessels um, ahead of when question. you get this stuff now? There, there are two different models that could be developed for uh, vessels like this. One where they are an integral part of the, the existing operational network that we have. And the other where they would actually be a standalone type of service, a new kind of service offering. We're at much too early a stage to, to conclude on which uh, of those models we would want to go to, uh, or if indeed we would want to actually to, to develop something along both lines. But that's part of why we run this process. We need to detail study uh, to do a really, really comprehensive evaluation of this so that we, we understand what the ramifications of one model versus another model would be. You're going to be looking at this with the, with the idea of potentially placing an order next year in the, the middle of 2022. That seems to be quite like you've got quite a lot of work that you've got to do between now and then to confirm mm -hmm. the commercial and technical feasibility. Um, yeah, um, there may, uh, let's not forget, of course, that quite a lot of work has been done already. So we're not starting from scratch by any stretch of the imagination. There is considerable tank testing and model testing has been conducted, um, as well as, of course, a lot of the uh, computer-aided analysis and so on. Sure, I know there's um, been there's been this this um, scale model in the archipelago of Stockholm. It's a lot larger, even though it's a it's a scale model. One might be might, one might think that it's the size of a small toy boat or something. It's not. It's mm -hmm. a sizable vessel that they've got out in the archipelago. But but nonetheless, there there will come a time when you're going to turn around and actually put the tender out to the shipyards mm. to actually construct. Now I've got another question then about that process because there isn't a shipyard that's got any competence in building this. So are you looking at a shipyard that will be building the masts as well? Or are you likely to be having a, uh, a sub-supplier developing the structure that will be the sail system or the wing system mm, mm. on the vessel that will then work with the yard? Or, or are you going to look for a specific yard with a specific competence that helps you? Yeah. Again, bearing in mind that it's an early stage, but I think it would be safe to say that there are, to, to just to note that there are companies who have specific competence within developing that kind of componentry. So it's not necessarily something the you know the the wing sails and the masts and the you know the the equipment uh, to control control them that wouldn't necessarily be yard supply. I see that the um, the hull structure um, does look slightly different to a normal ship, and I can understand why because if you've got large masts that are that are creating a lot of um, pull from the wind you're going to have these forces so just like a sailing vessel you might have to counter them with a certain element within the draft so it, are there mm -hmm. specifics relating to the design of a car carrier which traditionally has been very blocky in how it mm -hmm. looks and then adding a sail system to make it more mm -hmm. sail dynamic as well as effective it's, as a vessel it's an interesting question um the main difference between this vessel and earlier ones is that it's considerably uh, wider beam whereas most of the, the the latest generation of vessel that we have is 36.5 meter beam we're expecting this to come in in around 40 meters but of course since the the panama canal was uh, widened neither of those are uh, limiting factors anymore 
As regards the, you are, I mean, you're right that uh, old fashioned or conventional row row vessels are like floating shoe boxes. Mm. Um, but that's the above water part of the vessel. The actual underwater hull has quite a low uh, block coefficient. It's kind of long and slender um, relative to its, uh, yeah, relative to other kinds of vessels like bulkers or tankers. And that I don't think would be any different for this vessel. You are right, of course, about the internal structure needed to support masts, but it is normal for row row vessels to have either one or two sets of pillars internally to, to support the in whatever might be 11 or 13 different decks. Um, some of the vessels in our fleet have just one set of uh, pillars in the middle. For those vessels, uh, they wouldn't be very significantly different, um, I imagine, from what the, the internals of the, the, the Orcel wind might look like. And it's, it's interesting that you call it the Orcel wind because you still have, I believe, or maybe you don't, but you still have that vessel, the Orcel, in the foyer of Wilhelm of uh, Wilhelmsen. Indeed, we do. It, uh, it dates back to uh, 2005 and the World Expo in Aichi in Japan, and uh, it was the, you know, I think you could say it was the, the original of the species of zero-emission modern merchant marine vessels, and that's, you know, obviously where we've derived the name from. I remember seeing the vessel, and there's photographs of it online mm. still that people can find, but taking that concept, which at the time, Wilhelmsen uh, were, qu were quite clear in saying this vessel is never going to be built. It was mm. full of ideas. It was full of hope. It was full of a mm. little bit of dreams to say, look, this is where we could be going. Do you see yeah. this Orsell wind as being a way of saying, well, now we're actually much closer to a reality. This is where those dreams are actually becoming a, a lot more real. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, I like how you're characterizing it. I mean, designing that vessel, uh, that concept, all the way back in, you know, 2005, when environmental issues were nowhere the size of, you know, the, how they're looming over the industry now. Um, but what it did, it was, it set a marker for, for us to work towards long, long term. Um, but it also was sent a very clear signal of intent and it helped attract people with ideas. Now, some technologies have developed at faster paces than others. Um, the original Orcel had um, fuel cell. You know, it was designed with fuel cell propulsion and a wave propulsion technology. Fuel cells have come quite a long way, but they're not quite at the point of being ready to power deep sea vessels yet. Um, we should hope that that gap gets closed over the coming years. I think the, the wave propulsion technology that it was envisaged had even further uh, has even further to go, but that vessel did have wing sails, and clearly you know, that technology has uh, has has matured really well, and we believe that it actually might be ready for you know real um, full scale deployment on on a large uh, merchant marine vessel. You you mentioned fuel cells and ideas relating to a kind of alternative power. You're not only looking at Wilhelmsen um, at at using uh, wind power. I know you've got some hydrogen projects that you're involved in as well. How are you seeing all of these projects in terms of the greater drive that you've got as a ship mm -hmm. owner? Um, well, you're more than just a ship owner, of course, but 
how do you see that as sort of empowering the change? Yeah. Got, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that you're doing and not all of these eggs are going to actually develop into chickens. Some of them may crack, but you're putting mm. a lot of effort, and a lot of money into a lot of different ideas here. From a Valenius Wilson perspective, although we think that the uh, Orcel wind is a, it's a very prominent initiative for us and we think that it holds a lot of promise, it's not the only thing. It's not the only fire uh, iron that we've got in the fire because we need solutions for existing fleet as well as new vessels. Um, and so we need to take a broad spectrum approach here because, like you've said, you, mean, you don't know how different solutions are going to pan out. And so you do need to sort of it makes sense then to, to try a lot of different things. In terms of the Orcel wind, it's not going to be 100% wind power. It's going to have to have mm. a propulsion system on board for yeah. port manoeuvres or emergency situations or quite simply when the wind doesn't blow, which uh, exactly. in the North Atlantic is going to be unlikely, but still could happen. And mm. certainly in some parts of the world is, is, is quite likely to happen. Yeah. How, how, how are you looking at the power system that you've got to put into um, the Orcel wind? You're, you're quite correct. I mean, there will be a supplemental power system for propulsion and not just at, at, uh, at birth power or auxiliary power. What form that'll take has not been finalised. I think there are quite a number of interesting options on the table. Our preference, of course, would be zero emissions. Whether that's possible at this stage or not seems, uh, I think, maybe a little bit early for that. But if not actual zero, then you know our next preference would be net zero because you know you're all the time you're thinking, you know, what gives us most insulation from further regulatory change. So it is uh, that's one of the more uh, I think exciting areas that will be um, concluded in the next year and a half or so. Yeah, and I, th I, th I think the discussion about uh, future fuels and whether we're talking about net zero or absolute zero mm. is going to heighten as we see what the IMO strategy moves mm. towards. Mm. You're right. I mean, uh, to be a, um, if, if you're looking at ammonia with a fuel cell, you know, at the point of use, you could essentially achieve zero emissions. Mm. However, if that ammonia was to come from LNG as a source, you're not really any further on. It would need to be uh, to come from a renewable source of energy. So, um, yeah, whether solar power or wind power or what have you, um, I think that would be the ideal that you try to achieve. Um, and it's, I think, on your point about you know where IMO goes. Yes, of course, it's critically important to, to you know to, to follow what to pay attention to what direction it goes in. But I would say that as time goes on, it's it would be prudent to pay attention to other stakeholders too, um, including um, the the financial community and um, uh, and of course uh, the customers of the industry. I think you know currently we are in an industry that produces a lot of emissions. And even if we were managed to get to zero, net zero, at the point of, of use, we're still producing a lot of emissions. And I think it's worth asking yourself in 20, 30 years time, well, what are the prospects for getting financing for something which still produces a lot of emissions, even if it's net zero? So um, I think the safest strategy to pursue would be zero emissions properly from a life cycle perspective. 
Roger Strevens, head of sustainability at Vilenius Wilhelmsen. The listed company is majority owned by Vilenius in Sweden and Wilhelmsen in Norway. The Ocean Bird project, which has led to Orcell Wind, was driven largely by Vilenius in the beginning. Wilhelmsen in Norway has been evolving its own projects within its subsidiaries, including hydrogen fuel projects and electrification. And in an earlier episode of Aranax, we talked about another joint venture called Masterly, which Wilhelmsen runs with Norwegian tech firm Kongsberg. Now it's time to have our regular update on some of the other tech and startup news from Nick Chubb from Petius. Thanks, Craig. It's been a big couple of weeks for maritime cybersecurity. Uh, cybersecurity startup Ocean Shield announced an $800,000 funding round from seed investment company Masic Enterprise and several angel investors. The company launched just last year in 2020 and has developed a cybersecurity solution to protect operational technologies on vessels in ports uh, and in maritime and offshore infrastructure. Also, Cydome, a Tel Aviv-based provider of maritime cybersecurity solutions, raised $2.2 million in funding. That round was led by Israeli early-stage deep tech fund Venture Israel, with participation from private investors from Israel and Singapore. The company intends to use the funds to accelerate from pilot projects all the way through to full deployment of its solution uh, across the shipping industry. Over in Japan, and K-Line and Ship Data Center have signed an agreement to share operational data on the K-Line fleet. Uh, all of the data will be shared through uh, ShipDC's iOS open platform, uh, the Ship Internet of Things data sharing platform that's been built by ShipDC over the last few years. According to the agreement, K-Line will now share the data of its fleet across uh, 140 ships. Also in Japan, Mitsuyo is K-Lines and Silicon Valley-based AI startup Bearing have announced an expansion of their partnership that began in 2019. Through various ship modeling trials over the last two years, the companies have developed a range of products, including a newly announced AI-powered smart routing engine that has been developed by combining MOL's maritime expertise and Bearing's AI expertise. Lastly, congratulations to Nautilus Log for closing a 1 million euro seed round. German bank NBank led the financing in the company that was previously invested in by Hamburg-based maritime investor TechPeer. Nick Chubb from Theteus. That's it for this week. Please visit the Fathom World website and the LinkedIn page to get further updates. And of course, subscribe to the Fathom World newsletter and like, share and follow this podcast on your favourite platform. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>